Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. We've been in a series uh, for the last eight weeks on parenting, and it is applied to moms and dads, it's applied to grandparents, it's applied to foster parents, single moms, single dads, uh, or pretty much anybody who has is in a position to influence a child, which would effectively be everybody in front of me, because we've got just gobs of them on this campus, and a number of them are going to be in the front here right at the end of the service. We're going to close this service out, uh, as we did with the 9 a.m. service uh, with prayer. And uh, we're going to have parents praying for their kids and the church backing up those moms and dads and praying for them as we end the series today. Now, we've talked about what does all this look like? How do I be a, how is it that I'm supposed to be an effective parent when they're still pooping themselves? And then what, and for some of you, it's like, how do I get beyond that period? Like they're four and how does this happen? And then once you get beyond that, you got puberty to look forward to. And how do I, how do I effectively uh, raise and, and counsel this adult that's emerging in my household uh, to still follow some of my rules, but also recognize that they're developing their own mind and their own consciousness and a, a consciousness of other minds, if you will. How do I deal with them driving, going off to college, finding a mate, all of those sort of stages of life. And we have sunk the shaft deeply into Proverbs, particularly over the last two to three weeks, because we see there one of the wisest men who ever lived giving his son advice. So we'd be fools not to look over his shoulder, right? That's what we've been doing. And all of this, of course, is under the umbrella of the 127th Psalm, which says this, that children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. So what should we do? How should we see our role as moms and dads and grandparents and foster parents and single parents? It is to do no less than to send those arrows sailing out into the world for the glory of God and for their greater joy. That's what we've been talking about over the last eight weeks. And as we close out today, I want us to take a look at the future together. I want us to ask, what does the future look like? Have you ever thought about that with your kids? Uh, I have sort of a natural orientation to the future. It's just sort of how God's wired me, and it might be a little harder for some of the rest of you. Some of you may find it easier than me, but occasionally when we're sitting down around the dinner table and our kids are sharing a meal together, if I can get past table manner issues and things like that, I start thinking about what things are going to be like. Sometimes when I'm laying at bed at night, I think, what's going to happen to my children? And particularly, what are my children going to be like 20 years from now? Think about that, I, because that's going to come quickly. Grandparents, am I right? Like, it seems like it's so far away, especially if they're teething. I get that. It seems so far away, but it's going to come so quickly. 20 years from now, our oldest will be 39. Our middle kid will be 33, and our daughter will be getting ready to turn 30, which means it'll be time for her to start dating. That's where we are. What's going to happen? What's going to become of them? What, what is their life going to be like? And occasionally when we're sitting around that dinner table, I've asked them that question, which is, if you can fathom, I mean, what do you do when your mind hasn't even been alive? You, you haven't been alive 20 years and your pop's asking you, what's life going to be like in 20 years? That's an imponderable question to somebody in their teens, for example. But I want them to at least begin to try. I want them to think about that future and what it's going to be like. I want them to consider it, 
You ever done that? Even with your really young kids, you, you strive uh, to get them to, to understand that you, there's going to be a time that's going to arrive when they're going to even be older than you are. I get to think about the fact I'm 47 years old. I am now the exact same age that my father was when my wife and I began dating. And that was just a moment ago in time. It comes so, so quickly. And so we need to ask ourselves, do we, what are we doing to ready them for that? And, and what do we need to visualize as moms and dads in order to get them there? What do we do? Well, we got to do it with a view toward how your children will affect the next generation. Now, now the particulars of that, they're going to look very different. And we'll talk about that. But there's some common themes in Scripture that should guide all of us and our children when we're considering a picture of their future. And to help us with that picture, I want us to go back to the text that Pastor Ted read at the outset of the service, the first chapter of the book of Malachi. For Christians, this is the last book of our Old Testament, and it represents for us the last word from God to his people Israel before the close of this particular period of history. It will be 400 years before God will directly speak again. And God's people had actually already been warned about this. They were told in Amos chapter 8, and Christians believe that these words actually are a reference to this period that's about to be inaugurated post-Malachi. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. Uh, Occasionally, I have thought that in order to illustrate that text, I might come up after the singing and everything else, and you guys are ready, and you're like, feed me, and I just get up and go, there is no word from God today, and then just walk out. But I figure I might get fired if I do that, so maybe I shouldn't do that. You guys might think I'm just being lazy, but imagine something like that. There is no direct revelation today, and imagine that taking place for 400 years. So these last words would be very important. This is that final word before that spiritual famine, and it comes to a people who are rebellious, who are living under the grace of a gracious heavenly father. And this is what's happening in Malachi. God's addressing a people that have strayed from him. And so the prophet aims not only at the current generation, but also at the next one. So if you can imagine a chain. Anybody remember that game show, The Weakest Link? Yeah, that woman was harsh, wasn't she? In a sense, what Malachi is saying to us here is make sure, number one, that you are not the winkest link at the chain. You make sure you forge that thing rightly, and you make sure subsequently, at least to the extent as is under your control, that your children and the ones who come after them also know how to forge a strong link so that the chain is not broken. Malachi is talking about a legacy of faith. And here's the big idea about everything we're going to talk about today and how this applies to children. All of our children are going to end up in different vocations. Some of your kids are going to swing a hammer. Others are going to turn a wrench. Others are going to design buildings. Others are going to sit behind a desk and manage other people. Others are going to write laws. Others are going to enforce those laws. Your children are going to have different relationship statuses. Some of them are going to marry and others are not. Some of them are going to give you grandchildren and others are not. All of those ends are going to be very different because the destiny of each of your children is different. And mom and dad, it needs to be respected because of the unique identity that God has given them. But for them to get there, there's some common elements that they need instilled in them. And so before you look at how fat their banking app is going to be 20 years from now, or how educated they're going to be, or whether or not they're going to find an acceptable mate, there are four other issues that need to be foremost on your mind and mine as we think about the future of our children. And the first one is this, certainty 
because of the word of God. This prophecy opens up with the following powerful phrase, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. So right at the outset, you have the three key players here. You have the origin of this message, and that's the Lord. You have the, 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 the recipients, that's the people of the nation of Israel, at least initially. And as we will see, they're not the only recipients. You and I benefit greatly from the words of the Lord here. And then the mailman, as we would have it, is this prophet who's named it Malachi. His name means messenger of God. And this messenger is speaking to a group of people in the midst of a time that is confused, adrift, spiritually ambivalent. See, by this point, the second temple had already been built, but it was being misused. There was rampant corruption in the land. There was intermarriage with those outside the faith. There was a woeful neglect of generosity to your neighbor and to others. And it is into that moral confusion and lack of cultural direction that Malachi steps. And this man of God brings the very words of God, not just to correct God's people, but to give them something they need so that that faith can be passed down to the next generation. What they need is stability. They don't just need correction. God's word has a stabilizing effect on his people. They need a constant. And, and so the prophet speaks, and he says, these are the words of God. That's a bold statement, isn't it? But it is something God's people in Israel needed. It is something you and I need today. It is something that our, our children need. I don't know how many of you remember. You've probably heard the phrase that change is the only constant, haven't you? That's the world. I mean, isn't it intimidating sometimes to think about the world that our children are growing up in? And I don't mean this dark, apocalyptic, like everything's negative. I mean, even the positive stuff. Like, you you look at the technology and the rapid advance of knowledge, and you're, you're like, man, I thought we'd reached the final frontier, but we busted through that. Now we're going on to this to this other thing. And I and then as a mom and dad, as a dad, you go, I, I'm I'm kind of dumb. There's so much stuff I don't know that my kid knows. I, I remember when Samuel, our oldest, got his first computer. It was years ago. And I remember him opening that thing up and doing something that I had never done with it, just reflexively, naturally making it work the way it was supposed to, without a hammer. I don't know how he does it. I didn't get it. And then it hit me. Well, when I was his age at that time, my birthday, I didn't get a laptop i got that paddle with the ball and the string that's what i was playing with so i guess maybe this is the difference the highest math i ever achieved was my second year of college trigonometry that's as high as i got uh, my oldest before he left for college he was at a calculus two level i remember walking past him one night in the living room and he had his calculus homework up on his laptop screen and i thought i can understand like three letters on that page and I don't even understand how they relate to each other. The, the most intimidating thing sometimes as a parent is when you recognize you have to raise your child to function, succeed, overcome, be victorious, be effective in a world that you don't even know how to navigate. And God has said to you, mom, dad, grandparents, foster parents, single parents, this is what I'm calling you to do. You've got to play that role. The world can be intimidating. In fact, let's talk a little bit about the changes in the world. Did you know that 25% uh, of high school students in India total a number greater than the entire population of the United States of America? You know what that means, simply put? It means India has more honors kids than we have children. That's the world that your kids and mine are growing up in. Did you know that the top 10 most in-demand jobs last year did not even exist six years ago? 
We are in a world where we, it's not that we don't have the help of school systems and other places in society, and I'm very thankful for all of those, but moms and dads, it's our responsibility primarily to prepare our children for a world where there are jobs that don't exist yet using technologies that haven't been invented yet in order to solve problems that we don't even know are problems yet. And that rapid pace of change just seems to be growing exponentially. Communication is changing. The very first text message ever sent, anybody want to guess when it was? 1992. Now, some of you are going, well, I wasn't born yet. Yeah, and we all hate you for that. Nevertheless, <laughs> most of you are like me and going, that was yesterday. Yeah, it was. And today, 27 short years later, the total number of text messages that will get sent and received around the world will exceed the total population of the planet. You want to talk about exponential growth? That may very well be the best example of it. Relationships are changing. There's a reason that our culture has this colloquial phrase, the girl next door. It's because that's how you used to find your wife. That's where she was. She was right next door. She was right across town. You found a hometown girl. You, you, you married your high school sweetheart. And then in another generation, we, we met somebody out of state, usually because we went to college and we brought somebody home. Fast forward to today. One out of eight couples that got married last year. Do you know how they met? Yeah, online. Everything around us is changing. And it's not bad and it's not good. It just is. And it can be intimidating to a parent. It can be confusing to a child. In that world, your kids need a constant. They need a constant. Here's the great news from Scripture. And I'm going to read this verse again. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel. You are my people. I am going to speak to you. In Christianity, we have a closed canon from which you can speak to your child God's very words with God's very authority, just like Malachi. Your children can grow and live and marry, have children of their own, navigate complex situations and challenging circumstances, and they can do all of that with success, knowing this one thing, that in the midst of all the change that I'm having to navigate, I know this, and this will always be true, God has spoken. God has spoken to us. And so here's the question, moms and dads, do you encourage that? Is that something you're instilling in your child? How often do you read the scriptures with your kids? How often do you share those stories with your children? How often do you worship with them, not only by bringing them to this place, but, but just regularly a part of Bible study and prayer together as a family? How often are you getting into a small group? And I know what you're thinking. My small group's this way. We, all the adults are studying the Bible, and we don't look up unless we think there's going to be blood, because the kids are all just running crazy. That's fine. Because you know what they do every time they play tag and they run around the corner of my kitchen and almost hit their head on the island? You know what they see? Moms and dads studying the Word of God together. How is it that we're modeling that for our children? Because at some point in this rapidly changing, morally confused, aimless culture in which we live, your kid's future will be on the line. And the question that will matter then is, have you given them a grounding? Have you given them a constant? They need certainty because of the Word of God. But they don't just need certainty. What I have discovered, at least apologetically, is that, is that certainty by itself creates arrogant jerks. Anybody want their kid to be an arrogant jerk? All right, yeah, me either. So they need this other thing, security. 
because of the love of God. God doesn't speak merely to speak or merely to clarify or merely correct. God speaks because he loves. And we see that in verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yes, I have loved Jacob. Now, the reason that God speaks is love. And we see this throughout the entirety of the biblical story. You see this repeated thematically all throughout Scripture, from Genesis all the way to the end of the book. In fact, beginning in those earliest chapters of Genesis, when our first parents willfully rebelled against the commands of God, and they brought not only sin and corruption and depravity in their own hearts, but they brought dysfunction in their relationship with each other and their progeny. They brought all kinds of systemic evil and other things that would emerge out of that. Paul even tells us in Romans that creation itself begins to collapse in upon itself because of our sin and because of our corruption. And in the midst of all of that, along with the internal fear and shame and guilt that our first parents were feeling, what does God do? He speaks. He speaks. And in Genesis 3.15, he says, somebody's going to come to fix this. God gives a word that brings hope to his people. Let's fast forward hundreds, thousands of years after that, and the Israelites are now coming out of Egypt, and they're in the wilderness like a dog that just caught the car. They finally got it. They're finally free, and they're like, now what do we do? Because you're wandering around, and you don't know because nobody would know How do we live now? The only thing we've ever known is get up, work for Pharaoh, make the bricks, go to bed, get up, do it again. No days off, no vacations, no maternity leave, no family medical leave act, nothing. I mean, just we're slaves. No paycheck. We're just doing this. Now we we are free. God has set us free. But we don't know what this is supposed to look like. There's no wise old man here. They all died because it's been 400 years of this. So what do we do? How do we live? And what does God do? He speaks. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. The Ten Commandments are not something that is intended to be restrictive for God's people. The Ten Commandments were spoken originally to a people who were formerly enslaved, giving them hope that free people don't have to worship multiple gods, and free people don't have to walk around and act and speak like their God is smaller than he is, and free people don't need to work all the time. They can take a rhythm of their life that allows them the rest that God has created them to enjoy, and free people won't steal other people's stuff, especially not people's wives and husbands and free people won't walk around with covetous hearts uh, always unsatisfied. They're, they're going to live in complete satisfaction. God speaks in the Sinai wilderness so people live in freedom. When God speaks, he does it because he loves us and he wants good for us. And so the word of the Lord comes upon his people here and the motivation, just like every other time before, is love. But sometimes we can willfully blind ourselves to that, can't we? Notice what Israel says back. How have you loved us? The inference here is, if you really loved us, our nation wouldn't be struggling. We wouldn't be faced with this situation that we're in. And so the Lord's declaration of love is met, at least in this context, by Israel with insolence. We we really don't think you do. And I don't think Israel's the only people that have ever treated God that way, do you? I, I, I know I have. I would imagine some people in front of me have probably allowed their circumstances, their situations to doubt. You ever have a similar conversation with your own child? Our youngest is something. We had family day yesterday. We had a family movie night, and she just came very presumptuously, just jumps up in my lap, and she just sits there. 
like the chair and her daddy belongs to her or something. Like she doesn't even ask. I love that, by the way. It's awesome. But there are times, particularly when she gets a little hard-headed and she, uh, she won't accept discipline from her mom or her dad, that, that, that she, she might get stubborn and she might resist. And there have been many, many times where you can tell me she wouldn't say it this way, but her actions communicate. I'm not hugging you today because I don't like you. Anybody else got a kid like that? Yeah, it's, ain't, it's not just me, is it? I'm kind of mad at you right now because of what you did. I don't know that you really love me. And what's happening here is, Mal, if you can imagine Malachi encouraging an entire nation to metaphorically sit in her father's chair. How many of you, your dad has a chair? Yeah, a few of you. I got a chair. Dad's going to say, sit in dad's chair. Here's the father's answer. Is not Esau Jacob's brother? Yet I have loved Jacob. Now there's a detailed history in that statement that we're going to have to explore to more fully understand it. But for now, here's what I want you to get. When Israel challenges the veracity of God's love for her in this period of history, God's answer proves his love. And we're going to talk about what that looks like in history in just a moment. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, he has proved that love even more. Because we believe that God's ultimate, his uh, ultimate, his final, his greatest declaration of love was demonstrated in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So if you are a follower of Jesus and you are doubting God's love for you, here's what you need to hear. It's the words of Paul from Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That needs to get seared into your consciousness. If you doubt the love of God for you, you need to understand that 2,000 plus years ago, God through the person and the work of Jesus has already done everything he needs to do, and he doesn't need to do anything else. He's not required to do anything else to prove to you that he loves you. He's already demonstrated that for you. And if God gave his son, what on earth would make you think that he doesn't love you? The evangelist Paul Washer puts it this way, countless figures of literature, poets and scholars alike have long attempted to both define and illustrate the nature of love. Compared to the cross, their works are as the scribblings of children. So moms and dads, here's the question I want to ask you in light of everything we've seen. Do we really live that way in front of our kids? Do we doubt the love of God, or do we believe the love of God based on what God has already done for us? How often could we be like Israel in the time of Malachi? Here's what I have to ask myself as a dad. How often am I willfully blind to the very cross I just talked about because I'm so laser-focused on circumstances that I don't like? How often... Do, do I sit in my father's lap after all of his provision, all of his salvation, all of his consistency, all of his faithfulness? He's never broken a promise. How often have I done that? And in that environment, I still question his love for me. How often have I done for that? How often do our children observe their father living that way, talking that way, doing those kinds of things? Do my children view God as uncaring or as incompetent because of the way they hear their father reacting to circumstances in his life. See, building warriors requires that we raise our children confident in the love of God. That no matter what our circumstances, that our testimony in theirs would be that of Asaph. In the, in the 73rd Psalm, we read something that I think coins incredibly well. 
a picture of satisfaction and a picture of certainty and a picture of just being able to rest in the love of God. You guide me, he says, with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Can you imagine the sheer undefeatable power to change the world that would result from an entire generation raised to assume that posture? What kind of impact could they make against the works of darkness just by doing that? But they need certainty from the Word, and they need security, knowing that the one who has given that Word loves them. And the other thing that they need that will help this and give this power is humility. And that humility comes because of the grace of God. The prophet will continue and say in the following in verses 3 and 4, he talks about the love for Jacob, and then very quickly he says, but Esau I have hated. So I just talked about how God's love for everyone, and now we're talking about God hating That'll be interesting, right? How are we going to, Pastor, how are you going to unpack that one? Give me, a, give me a second. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage of jock, to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, Edom, the, the nation that comes from the loins of Esau initially, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. The background here goes way back, multiple generations, to two brothers. The oldest is named Esau, the one that it, it is said of here in Malachi that God hates. Esau is described in the book of Genesis as a rough, rugged, outdoorsy guy. Probably had big biceps, probably, you know, he was definitely big, he was definitely ruddy, and he was definitely, because the Scripture actually explicitly tells us this, he was definitely hairy. So I feel better sometimes when I read about that because when I shave and then in the evening, it all has come back. It's like, this is annoying. I'm not the only person that's ever lived like that. But it says he was hairy. It also says he has red hair. So I go like, you know, if Elmo were ticked off, he'd look like Esau or something like that. But Esau is an outdoors guy. He is a man's man. Like, I can imagine them sitting around the, the dinner, not, not quite around the dinner table, but it's getting close to dinner time, and somebody in the family says, what are we going to eat? And Esau says, whatever I happen to kill, I'll be back in a minute. And a couple of hours later, he comes back in. He's covered in blood from the field dressing, hands the disemboweled animal to his little brother. Because Jacob's been spending the time indoors all day long with mom and dad. That's With mom. That, that's where he prefers to be. Jacob is also the youngest. And so by this standard, Esau is supposed to be the one who receives what was called the double portion. The lion's share, if you will, of the estate, of the inheritance. But God is about to confound those expectations. He says the following to Rebekah, the mother of those two boys in Genesis chapter 25. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. The most unexpected, mind-blowing thing happens. Both these men actually turn out to be pretty bad boys, if you read the rest of the story. Esau is impulsive and anger-driven. Jacob is manipulative and selfish. And God chooses the least likely and Jacob, as a result, both becomes and produces Israel, and Israel, as a result, produces Jesus. 
All of that story is what is behind what Malachi is describing here. The judgment that's about to come on Esau. Paul's going to use this story later on in Romans 9 when he talks about divine election, this doctrine that really even troubles Christians a lot. The, the idea that God, before the foundation of the world, chose for himself, not because of anything done in them before they had done anything good or bad, Paul actually says, he chose who would belong to him. Now, what in the world would that have to do with your child? Well, for you and me and your child and my children, we're like Esau and Jacob in this way. We didn't earn anything. Whatever you have from God was given to you freely. You didn't earn it. There was nothing you did to earn it. There was nothing you do to deserve it. And that's a really important thing for us to embody in a culture that we're living in that has this really overdeveloped sense of entitlement. We're now raising kids, for the most part, to be entitled. In the midst of this, the Father will put us in his lap. He will declare his love for us. And then he will remind us that his love is not conditioned on what we do or don't do. Because if it was, he would not love us. The great British preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon was approached by a woman once after speaking about a text like this. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And she said, Pastor, I was really troubled by that message. And the pastor, seeking to identify with his parishioner, said, Madam, I, I too am troubled by that passage. It has troubled me for years. She said, I'm comforted to hear that, Pastor, because I don't understand how in the world God could have hated Esau. To which Pastor Spurgeon replied, Madam, that, that's not my problem. I can easily see how God hated Esau. What I cannot understand is how he could have ever loved Jacob. Or me. Or you. The grace of God in our lives produces the greatest kind of humility. So here's, here's what I want to ask. What would it look like for our family units here at Covenant to strike that posture? How, how would it help me to avoid what I talked about earlier? My kids seeing God as small by the way I react to what goes on in my life, by selfishness that they see in their father. How much of that could I put to death by simply developing a posture of humility that from the moment my eyes open in the morning while I'm still laying in bed, I ask myself, what in the world have I done to deserve being awake this morning? Oh, nothing. This is all by the grace of God. He has given me everything. Everything. How generous, selfless, loving, countercultural, and powerful would our children be if Everything they said and did was an action out of that kind of posture of humility. The most empowering thing you can give your children is a lifelong dose of this that is grounded in a full understanding of God's mighty grace toward them. It's what he's reminding the people of with Malachi's words. He still reminds us of that today. It is my grace that has brought you where you are. It is not your actions, and you need to understand that, and you need to act in humility toward me, and that is what will make you truly powerful. That brings me to this last thing that we need to make sure we imbue in the lives of our kids, and that's empowerment. But that empowerment doesn't come from within them. It comes because of the greatness of God. Look again at verse 5. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say. Remember who he's saying this to now. A group of people who've turned in on themselves, 
They're living for themselves. They're worshiping for themselves. They're marrying for themselves. Everything they do now is because of themselves. What is it that God's trying to do for them in His love and in His grace? He's bringing them. He's saying, I want to get you to the point where you will say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. It's not just about my house. It's not just about my church. It's not just about my community. I want you to see that God is great. The end of all of God's activity in this part of history is for Israel, number one, to praise him for his gratefulness and his faith, greatness and faithfulness, and secondly, to reaffirm that he's not just our God. He is the God of all of creation and the God with whom the whole world will one day reckon. And when it comes to parenting, from the minute they are conceived until they are born, until they get out of diapers at every stage of their life. This is something for you to think about. You need to know, Covenant family, this is what your pastoral staff longs for. We intentionally push these kids that are coming in right now toward this goal. From the moment you check them in this morning at Kidman, through the time that they're in our student ministry department that met at 9 this morning, and we'll meet again this coming Wednesday night at 6.30, our goal is to drive this point home. That's why your second grader gets an opportunity to contribute toward the work that we do in Kenya. That's why our student ministry department, they, they all get opportunities if they want this summer to go to Ocean City and work with and help raise up the next generation of leaders, not just here, but in Eastern Europe as they interact with students with J, for, here on J-1 visas from all over the world. This is why we lead them to and give them opportunities to do things like the visit they took to the Holocaust Museum last summer with our Jewish neighbors. It's why we lead them and give them opportunities, particularly as they get into college, uh, to, to work with some of the things that we're doing in Vietnam. It's, it's why we offer them opportunities that they seized last night. All of our teenagers, I don't know if you know this or not, for the last 24 hours up until the start of worship were on their knees taking shifts, praying for their pastors and their church family and their parents and their community. We do all of that because we believe that God is great beyond our borders. God wants to do something, and, and by His grace, He wants to use His people to do it. It's why your upward athlete gets warned about opioid addiction, but also is empowered with the tools to be able to, to handle situations like that when, they're, when his friends are in, entrapped in this. But you got to remember, we only get them one to two hours a week. You get them the, one, the other 166. So moms and dads, what are we doing? to make sure that our children live certain, live secure. Huh? What are we doing? Live humbly? Live empowered? That, that's the idea of, of building warriors. It requires that our children see, I was created for the glory of God. My life is not about me. One theologian put it this way more than 30 years ago, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's what we want, empowered by the grace of God. I, I don't know what God has in store for my three children. I don't know where my oldest is going to end up when he finishes his college degree. I don't know even what professions our two youngest are going to choose. I don't know who they will marry or if they will marry. I don't know how fat or thin their checking accounts can be. Uh, I, I do know this. I know that the word of the Lord from beginning to end tells me that while those should be concerns, they should not be the primary ones. 
that what I should be most concerned with is that they would center their lives around their Creator when everybody else might be living for themselves. I want them to be humbled by His grace in a world that is way too full of pride. I want them to love all people unconditionally just as their God sees them. In a world of chaos and confusion, I want them to do that while standing firmly and consistently in the knowledge that their God has spoken because this is how you build a warrior. And we're going to take a few minutes right now to do that. We're going to inaugurate this next season as this series comes to an end and as we look toward the summer, but as those of you who are parents continue to kind of harbor God's Word in your heart and apply it to this task of raising our children, I want to ask our musicians to come up and they're going to begin playing. And I'm going to ask our kids in just a minute to just come and stand right here. And then we're going to do two things. The first thing, I'm going to call for parents. So moms, dads, grandparents, if you're raising this kid, if, they, if this child is your responsibility, I'm going to say, all right, it's your turn. You be ready. You come forward. You find your child. You put your hands on that child. And you begin praying these things for your child. And then once that gets arranged, I'm going to call for the rest of you. Anyone who feels led of the Lord, I want you to come as the church with, at the backs of these moms and dads. I want you to put your hands on the parents and on the grandparents. And I want you to pray that God would use them to raise up the next generation for the glory of God and for their greater joy. Kids, are you ready? Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, that was not nearly loud enough. Get a deep breath. You ready? Yeah. All right. I just want to make sure mom's dad are, is awake. All right. Come on up here. Come on up. We're going to give them just a minute to get settled. And then moms, dads, grandparents, I want you to be ready to move. I want you to come find whichever one of these little ones belongs to you. And I just want, to, I want you to get your hands on their head, on their shoulders. And I want you to offer prayer for, for your children. And I want this, for some of you, it may be the first time you prayed for your kid. This may not be something that, that you do. And it may be something you need to start doing. We want to help you get there. This will be a wonderful place to start. Parents, why don't you hop up? Come on up right now. And at the end of this, if you could just, once, once you're done praying, if you could just take them to one of our volunteers with a badge and we'll make sure they get safely back where they came from. But right now, just make your way up. Find your child. And let's pray for your children to be raised in the ways that we've been talking about these last eight weeks. Church family, why don't you go ahead and hop up as God leads you. You don't have to, but if you feel so led, come on. Put your hands at the back of these parents. Let them know you have their back as we raise these children for the glory of God. And just begin praying right now. When you're done, you can just head back to your seat as the Lord leads you. Uh, our musicians will start singing in just a moment. If you're continuing to pray, by all means, you continue to pray. Don't let their singing interrupt you. And then we will finish in song. But right now, let's call out to the Lord. And let's dedicate these children to His glory. Father, I thank You for Your grace, Your mercy, Your love. Undeserved as it is, I thank You for showering it on us. I thank You for giving us the opportunity to relish in it. And I pray today that it is out of that posture that we will live, that we will model, and that we will raise our children 
Lord, as we enter into this final phase of worship, where as the gathered community of covenant, we give our gifts to you. We thank you for the multiplication of those gifts, for the way that you have used them, for the upbuilding of your kingdom. We pray that you would continue to do that. But I also pray this today that you would exponentially, tangibly, in a very real way, that you would bless those who give as we carry on this work together. And I pray these things in Jesus' name and all of his people said, amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.